0: Mi gente, hello, and welcome to Kika's Corner. My name is Kika Matos, and I am your host. Goal for this show is to focus on interesting topics, fascinating people, social justice issues, and maybe, just maybe, a scandal or two. But always, 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 whatever we talk about, will always have a New Haven edge. Today, we're going to talk about immigration And we're going to talk specifically about the recent Supreme Court ruling from a few days ago that shattered and destroyed the (coughs) dreams and hopes of an estimated 5 million people, including 41,000 Connecticut residents. Thank you, Chief Justice Roberts, for your total lack of leadership on this issue. I have two people in the studio with me today, uh, the fierce (laughs) and one and only Ana Maria Rivera Forastieri. From Junta. She is the Director of Advocacy and Program Development, and she has been fighting for many years uh, for immigrant rights, and she was in the front lines of this fight in the Supreme Court uh, in Connecticut. Also with us is Alejandra Corona Ortega, who is a New Haven resident and somebody who was impacted by the Supreme Court's ruling or lack of ruling on immigration. Uh, Before we start the conversation, I wanted to just step back a little to provide folks who are not uh, that familiar or up to speed on what happened uh, in the Supreme Court and um, what led to uh, their lack of action a few days ago. So just bear with me while I lay the backdrop. Uh, The first thing I would say is uh, we in this country have a hopelessly broken immigration system and only Congress can fix it. And the last time Congress managed to get it together enough to pass laws on immigration was in 1986. Yep, that's right, 30 years ago. And presidents have come and gone, and they've either ignored immigration or made things worse. Uh, On the plus side, because of that, a movement has formed that has grown to millions of people around uh, the country over the last few years. It's an immigrant rights movement that keeps growing and growing. Uh, And it's a movement that's largely led by immigrants that have really pushed hard for change. Uh, To date, now we have an estimated 11.2 million immigrants in this country without status. And the reason they don't have status and they're undocumented is not because they want to be undocumented. It's because our laws are so broken that they cannot be uh, naturalized or get legal status uh, in the country. When Obama was running for office, he promised while he was campaigning that he would push for changes in the law on immigration. In fact, he said it would be one of his priorities. And so Latinos and immigrants worked hard to get him elected. And when he came into power in 2008, he kept promising that immigration reform was a priority that his administration would push for. But they let us down and he didn't do anything. Well, he did do something, but nothing good. Uh, Instead of moving comprehensive immigration reform forward in Congress, uh, he decided that he was going to try to appease the Republican Party and get them to come to the table. And the way he thought he would do that was by ramping up deportations. And despite lots of pressure from immigrant rights activists, he didn't tackle immigration reform during his first term in office. All he focused on was deporting people, and separating families including people who lived here in New Haven and Ana Maria will talk to us uh, later about that. During Obama's second term after Latinos and immigrants again pushed hard to get him re-elected on a promise that he really would tackle immigration reform this time around. Legislation finally moved forward and a bill passed in the Senate that was not the best bill, but at least included a path, it included a path to citizenship for the undocumented. but once the bill passed the Senate, the House Republicans jacked up the legislation and it failed in the house and that's when immigration advocates put mad pressure on Obama to do something to step up to the plate to act like a, le- a leader and to deliver for immigrants. By then, all he had to show for for his uh, time in office was deportations. And by then he had already deported about 2 million immigrants. And that, just to put things in perspective, means that President Obama has deported more immigrants than all other US presidents combined. Finally, in November of 2014, President Obama finally moved forward in a good way, and he acted by issuing um, two executive orders that offered relief from deportation and also offered work permits to two types of undocumented immigrants. Uh, The first, undocumented parents of kids who are U.S. citizens, and that executive order became known as DAPA and the second for people who came to this country undocumented from when they were kids and that broadened an, an original category of these kids and that was known as daca plus um, combined these two executive orders would have uh, uh, offered relief from deportation and work permits to an estimated 5 million people <clears throat> but after obama announced these executive orders republicans Particularly xenophobic Republicans weren't having it, and so they jacked up these executive orders by filing a lawsuit in Texas, and they found the country's biggest anti-immigrant judge to listen to this lawsuit, and he issued what is known as an injunction, which froze these programs from moving forward. Uh, Immigrant activists then fought uh, in the courts, in the district court in Texas, in the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals in Louisiana, and fought to get this case heard before the U.S. Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court agreed that it would hear the case, and it heard the case in April. Five days ago, this was on Thursday morning at about 1030 in the morning, the court announced that it was split four to four, which means that the orders are now frozen. Needless to say, this news was devastating to the millions of immigrant families who were praying and hoping and wishing that the court would rule in their favor, including New Haven families, thousands of New Haven families. And here we are today, five days later, reeling from the disappointment and the heartbreak and the outrage of the Supreme Court's lack of leadership on this issue People are really sad that the court failed to do its job. They failed to follow the law and they failed to consider even a semblance of justice for the millions of immigrant families around the country. So I'm going to turn it now to Ana Maria. Um, and I'll ask you the first question, which is tell us a little bit about how families have been reacting in New Haven to this horrible ruling.
1: So um It was a very, very hard day, uh, Thursday morning. I think Uh, we were all sort of online trying to figure out when the decision was going to come out, if it was going to come out. And when it came out that it was a 4-4 split, we were all in shock. Um, So all of us at Junta were in shock. We didn't move for about half an hour, 45 minutes. Even though we had this plan, win or lose, we're going to take action five minutes after the decision comes out. It just... We were unable to do that, um, and we just sat and cried mm-hmm. for a pretty long time. Um, and when we finally, I guess, regained composure, we said, okay, it's time to co- call our families. It's time to call our people to let them know what has happened and that we are going to continue to fight. Um, and so we started calling through our lists, starting calling uh, our family leaders and saying, "Like, I am so sorry that I'm calling you with these news. Most of them already knew mm-hmm. that they that it had come down that way. But I think what was mostly surprising for us at Junta was that all of them said, we are so sad that this happened, but something better is coming and we're not giving up. So that was very, I think that sort of shook me out of my, okay, stop feeling sorry for yourself and for failing and buck up and keep fighting back. So um that has been the reaction. Uh, and so since then, we've taken a couple of steps. We can talk a little bit about the big action that we had on Monday in Hartford where hundreds of people turned out and nine individuals got arrested, put their yeah, bodies at the tell line. Tell us
0: a little bit about the action, because I know that the action was directly connected to the Supreme Court's failure um, uh, in this uh, in this regard. So tell us what happened.
1: That's right. So uh, on Thursday night, uh, a group of organizations and individuals across the state got together and we said, what are we going to do? Are we just going to have a run-of-the-mill press conference to say we're sad about the story or are we going to be doing something more radical? And people were like, we're tired. We are so disappointed in the system. We are so disappointed in failed promises. We want something more and we want to send a strong message. So we decided to say, well, if the Supreme Court failed to act, right, it was a split decision, what power does Obama still have? And we believe that Obama still has the power to issue a moratorium on deportations. Um, so that was our message. On Monday, we went there, and the name of the the name of the rally was "No DAPA, No Deportations." And so that's what we're going to be pushing. Obviously, in addition to some things that we're going to be talking about today, a rehearing of the case and whatnot. I think that Obama does have the power to stop deportations, especially for those five million individuals that would have benefited from his executive actions. So that was our focus.
0: And Ana Maria, um, I know this is a an a A question that requires you to uh, engage in some level of a guesstimate, because it's hard to really gauge the number of undocumented immigrants in New Haven at any given moment. But how many people do you estimate were impacted by the Supreme Court's ruling
1: last Thursday? And, And by people, I'm talking about New Haven residents. For New Haven residents, uh, Greater New Haven, I believe it was about 9,000 people, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, for Connecticut as a whole, it was about 41,000 people, a lot of people.
0: And that breakdown was 31,000 parents with the U.S. citizen kids and 10,000 young people who would have benefited from the DACA piece of the executive order. Exactly. That's right. Alejandra, you um, your family would have
2: benefited from DAPA, is that correct? Uh, not from DAPA. Uh, because, uh, my parents, both of us, um, my brother and I, none of us are um, U.S. citizens or have lawful status here in in the country, um, so they would not have benefited from DAPA. Um, uh, however, I would have been the only um person in my family to have benefited in, from DACA Plus.
0: Okay, so you would have been, um, you would have transitioned into the status of being able to have have some relief from deportation and you would have been able to have a work permit. So tell us about what this was like for you and for your family um, when you heard the news. And um, I also want you to describe a little bit about what life is like for people in this community who don't have status.
2: Uh, Well, uh, like Ana Maria mentioned on Thursday, it, this decision just came in and we was, we just sat there in shock. Um, I mean, I was going to be the only one that was going to benefit from this decision. So I think that if anything, that made it a little bit easier for me to just accept the decision. Because at the end of the day, it would have just been me and the rest of my family would still not be protected. Um so in that sense, I think that I even, i like to say that I even got lucky that I didn't get to suffer that disappointment that many families um, around New Haven and the country uh, had to feel. Um, with that in mind, living in New Haven, I, I mean, I consider myself very lucky for being in New Haven and being surrounded by people who are <laughs> incredibly amazing uh, especially regarding my community, people like Ana Maria and the fact that we even have Junta here in New Haven so close to us um, has been a blessing. Uh, however, it is scary when sometimes the police is behind us and you're not feeling protected. Uh, you feel like you're being watched constantly and um, that is always terrifying um, I mean, the experiences that we've had with the police had always been, uh, at, up to a certain point, very respectful just because they take our car because we're not driving with a license, but nothing beyond that. And I know many people um, suffer a lot more after that um, because of the discretion of the police, but that has never happened to us. Um, however, we are scared when you know you have to drive at night or when the police uh in sometimes people just tell you there's a policeman or an um ICE car somewhere and somewhere, please avoid that street. Uh so that has been the way my, my family has been impacted. Um when And your family's originally from where? Mexico. Puebla and you, Mexico. And mm-hmm. you've been here for how long? Uh eight years almost. Um and how old were you when you came to the United States? I was twelve yeah um so seven years almost sorry um but yeah and um uh we used to my mother used to have a job in milford in orange orange yeah orange um and when she got fired unfairly uh she just couldn't do anything and she felt afraid and we all felt afraid and we just felt like we just couldn't do anything and i mean we thanked everyone in the heavens uh, for the opportunity to get a job. But because of that, because of our status, we also felt like we didn't have the right to complain or ask for fairness.
0: Uh, You're listening to Kika's Corner on WNHH, New Haven's home for community radio, broadcast at 103.5 FM and live streamed at newhavenindependent.org. So Ana Maria, Undocumented immigrants in New Haven live mostly in one neighborhood, and that is Fairhaven. Um, and most of them, like Alejandra just explained, try to lay low for fear that they will be deported, they'll be exploited, that um, something terrible will happen uh, to them. Uh, talk to us. Alejandra just shared her own personal story. But if you were to uh, share with our audience what life is like for the majority of immigrants that junta engages with? What would you say? Because one of the things that's been interesting for those of us who who do immigration advocacy is that many Americans just don't know. They think first of all that undocumented immigrants don't want to change their status. Um, and they have no idea of, the hardships and the challenges and the sacrifices that undocumented immigrants uh, make. So tell us a little bit, if you were to paint a picture of what life is like, um, for undocumented immigrants in uh, New Haven, what would you say?
1: I think that's a tough question. (laughs) Um, I will never be in the shoes of these families. So, um, I will never know exactly what their struggle is. Uh, but I see, um, what they come to junta to ask questions when you're talking about, well, no one wants to fix their status. That is such a lie. Everyone comes. I mean, I have tens uh, of hundreds of people coming every month just to talk to me to figure out, hey, is there something that I can do, any kind of program that I can apply for to um, fix my status? And it's with heartbreak that I always have to tell them, I'm sorry, there's nothing available to you or your family. You have to fight for some kind of comprehensive immigration reform. That is our best bet. Um, there is a lot of fear in the community, um, fear about deportation. Yes. But like Alejandra was talking about, uh, you know, exploitive um, and abusive employers where people just don't feel like they have the right tools or the right um, their right to even complain about it. Um, but at the same time, you know, I think it's it. sometimes I have to um sort of tell myself to not say well you know yes you should be afraid that this is happening and i understand and i understand why you want to stay home um we at junta we try to push people and say like you cannot let fear take over your life um we are here and the only way that we're going to beat this the only way that we're going to move forward is if you come out to the streets and you create a community and you build power in your own community Um, i usually talk to them about examples of deport very difficult deportation cases that Um, we have been able to win because uh, there has been power built in the community and people have been able to create those networks. So um, it is a very difficult life. I mean, I see so many single mothers that have escaped terrible violence from um, Central America and are working three jobs to put food on the table and still make it to meetings at Junta and still make it to rallies. I mean, these are fierce people, people that just want to move forward, people that want to work, people that want to have a, a family, people that, you know, they think... I came to this country for something better. Is it really something better? Um, So that is really uh, what I have seen at Junta and working with a lot of these families. And Alejandra, why did your family come here?
2: Uh, We came here in 2009, which is the reason why I could not benefit from DACA, uh, which is already in place, DACA 2012.
0: And why did you come here?
2: Um, So we just ran out of money and we um over there we always said that public education in mexico is not really public um because you have to pay for it uh, and my mother was worried that i would not be able to even move on on to seventh grade and that i would have to stop school and you know i always try to do the best in school and i think that Seeing that, uh, my mother is when she decided that we should move to the United States because she thought that I was worthy of having an education. And that's why we're here. And
0: do you feel like an American? You've been here for seven years now.
2: I mean, um, even though I have many amazing values that are coming from mexico definitely i think that just gr- being here for high school which has been uh which were transformative years um many of the values uh, that i consider my own now uh were given to me uh, by american people by amazing people and i think that thanks to that i would like to consider myself american in that sense uh,
0: So, President, let's put our activist hats back on. Uh, President Obama has about six months left in office, and his legacy, let's be honest, when it comes to immigration, is terrible. Like I said earlier, he's deported 2.4 million people, and that means he has ripped apart millions of families. We're talking about children being left without a father or a mother, brothers being left without sisters, just the complete separation in the most violent way of family unit. Um, Alejandra and Ana Maria, I'm gonna put you in the role of an advisor to the president. So if you were both advising President Obama today, let's say he called you into his office and said, what do I have to do to get right now my legacy is horrible. I don't want to leave with a legacy of having um, torn apart so many families. What should I do? What would you tell him? What would you tell him he had to he had to do to get right with immigrant families and to be on the right side of justice? Let's start with you, Ana Maria.
1: Well, the first thing he should do is end the raids, um, because it is the most hypocritical and ridiculous thing that I've ever heard that he's talking about families, yet he continues to separate and deport children and families to their deaths. So stop the raids is the first thing. I mean, why are why is he even engaging and spending so many billions of dollars in separating families instead of investing in our communities? So that would be the first thing. I would, um, and we will continue to do this, is issue a moratorium on deportations. Um, The other thing that I think that uh, needs to be pushed with the Department of Homeland Security um, and the court system and all of that is the the use of prosecutorial discretion. That is something that allows uh, the government attorneys to say, you know what, I'm not going to be deporting you. I'm going to be giving you prosecutorial discretion. You can remain in this country. You can have a worker's authorization until we can figure something out. Um, and and I don't believe that they have been using that program um, a lot. So uh, I think those are three things that I would say, hey, you have six months, at the very least, do this.
2: Alejandra? Uh, I mean, I completely agree with Ana Maria in all of those uh, points. Um, I think that it might be a little bit too late for him to be on the right side of justice, up to this point just because of the many families that he has deported and i am in a way uh very lucky that i don't have anyone in my family that has ever been deported or i don't know really close friends that have always that have ever been deported um however i i think that like Ana maria said he has been very hypocritical in terms of talking about families and I mean, just, he failed us with even DACA itself. Uh, The fact that it didn't include me um, because you were supposed to come in before 2007 and I came in 2009 and that is the only reason why I don't apply for it. And, and, And it is thanks to that that I can't work while I'm in a university. And it is thanks to that that I sometimes just i'm afraid that fellowships and internships and scholarships are just close to me um because of that small um phrase in the in the program so i would say try to fix that because if he could do it um uh, and, and i know that right now it's been ch- it was challenged in the supreme court but if he could just stop the raids and make sure that people feel safe and safe enough to come out and say, I'm undocumented.
0: Documented and unafraid. Yeah. Uh, you're listening to Kika's Corner on WNHH, New Haven's home for community radio, broadcast at 103.5 FM and live streamed at newhavenindependent.org. Uh, let me switch a little bit and talk about, you know, it, the the Supreme Court stopped the executive orders Immigration reform uh, is not going to move forward in Congress until at least 2017, which means that it really falls on communities like New Havens to step up to the plate and do everything we can to make our families, our immigrant families, feel safe and welcome. And I know that under the previous administration, um, the mayor made a big effort to Uh, push forward policies to make immigrants feel safe and welcome, including the municipal IDs, a police general order that uh, barred police from asking anybody about their status, um, more cultural competence at city hall, including the translation of documents into Spanish. Um, But it feels like this uh, administration seems less inclined to embrace and advance uh, immigration issues. um, But that really does not seem to have stopped activists from moving an agenda on their own in New Haven. So, Ana Maria, I'm wondering if you can share with us the immigration agenda in New Haven now. What are activists doing to try to continue to fight for justice for immigrants at the local level?
1: Mm -hmm. Well, I think that we're sort of in a place of we need to regroup after the decision to... um, figure out what we want to do, but I think that one thing that Junta and other groups in New Haven are really focusing on is really um, popular education about knowing your rights uh, in the event that immigration comes, in the event that police comes, what do you do? Uh, So actually tomorrow, Junta's hosting a community dialogue from six to eight to talk to community members about, all right, this was the decision. What are our next steps as a community? What are we going to do to feel safe? Um, And I think that You know, uh, knowing knowing your rights is an important thing. Civic engagement is something that we are going to be tackling. I mean, uh, it's not a lie that uh, the Republican Party has used the court system to really push their own racist and xenophobic agenda. So um, even though we are nonpartisan, we are going to be pushing individuals to go out to the polls and vote for Those candidates that they feel like really represent their values, um, not only the presidential level, but at the uh, the state level, at the local level, which is a lot of the times so much more important because they're making decisions that are impacting people like right there and right now. Um, So those are the two things I think tomorrow we will find out more. And I'm really excited to talk to the families about what do you want to (laughs) do? What do you want to do to move forward?
0: Uh, Alejandra, do you think that enough immigrant families are involved in the movement for immigrant rights in New Haven? And if not, what do you think it will take to grow the movement? Um,
2: actually, I uh, I don't think I was I was really involved into it uh, until this couple um this summer. Um, really, uh, I mean, this has always been a very important issue affecting my family, but I think that many times. Just having two jobs and just having it, you know, other responsibilities has always come um in the way of being really involved and in, in, you know, you see it like exploitation, you see it happen so often and then your friend tells you, Oh yeah, that happened to me, but we didn't really do anything. Um, I think those are the kind of experiences that just make uh um immigrant families especially undocumented feel afraid and like that there's nothing that they can do um so I think that in in that sense my family is definitely one of the ones to blame for it um but you know um I I'm here to change that (laughs) good for you I was gonna say you seem very persuasive I
0: I see a young leader now about to mobilize her family (laughs) and her neighbors and that's great Uh, We just have a couple more minutes left. And so in the last uh, two minutes of the show, I'm going to ask Alejandra and um, Ana Maria questions that I think are really important for our listening audience to know about. Ana Maria and Alejandra, who is your New Haven shero or hero?
1: I am not just saying this because you're sitting here. (laughs) (laughs) But Kika, you are my mentor, you are my role model, you are the person that I look to whenever <laughs> I need to like, gain strength and keep moving forward. So I really am not just saying that because you're sitting
0: here. <laughs> I'm honored. I think you're a badass. I think I'm about to get edited for saying that. <laughs> Alejandra, who's your hero, Shiro?
2: Uh, I mean, I, I love everyone at Junta and every single day that I spend there, I am just reassured that that conviction is just valid. Uh, But I, as a freshman in, at Yale, uh, I mean, Alicia Camacho, uh, who's also from Junta. uh,
0: And she was on our last radio show. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) she's fierce.
2: Uh, You know, just having her then, and obviously her husband. um, Even pity. Yes, yes. Uh, I just love them both and they have been so supportive and so amazing that it's hard to imagine my freshman year without them.
0: Modern pizza, Sally's or Pepe's?
1: (gasps) Neither. My favorite is Zaleña's.
0: (laughs) Alejandro, your favorite pizzeria
2: we are not italian we are from mexico and we eat dominos there so i'm gonna go with dominoes. oh my
0: god all right we're gonna have to school you on favorite pizzas
2: and finally if
0: you could pick a superhero power what would it be flying
2: at the same speed you walk <laughs>
1: No, faster than that. Like a speed. like a plane. Oh, look <laughs> at you, you smart individual.
2: <laughs> Sorry, I have a brother. I've been asked this question. <laughs> um, I think it would be super speed. Hmm, that'd be really cool. Very cool.
0: So, thank you, Alejandra <laughs> and Ana Maria, for joining us on Kika's Corner, which is on WNHH, New Haven's home for community radio. Broadcast at 103.5 FM and live streamed at newhavenindependent.org. Until next month, here's wishing you justice, solidarity, and many days of sunshine. Thank you.